You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome to the Health Hub on Radio Maria Canada, exploring cutting-edge health and wellness information and therapies, helping you to take your health to the next level. I am your host, Kathy Biasse, and I am a holistic nutritionist and a professional cancer coach. Teachers are entrusted to educate, provoke thought, and engage young minds in order to give them a foothold for their future. They inspire and motivate our kids, help them to develop life skills, and navigate areas of difficulty. They are guides and mentors to our children. And as the demands of this noble profession evolve, evolve, developing resources and offering the support that teachers need, both professionally and on a personal level, must also evolve. And with us, to talk about this is Dr. Tracy Sheepstra. Tracy is an award-winning teacher educator with teaching experience at three top-tier Canadian universities in education and dance. She is an educational researcher, teacher mentor, and elementary artist specialist. She received her PhD from the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education at the University of Toronto in Curriculum, Teaching, and Learning. Her doctoral research focused on school-related gender-based violence in elementary contexts. She also completed her Master's of Arts in Dance and an Honours Bachelor of Arts in Fine Arts Studies and Dance at York University. With a career that uh, that spans over three decades, Tracy has taught in a variety of educational settings with learners of all ages. Her work focuses on curriculum, pedagogy, and research in the fields of holistic curriculum, experiential learning, arts-based education, Indigenous knowledge, and mental health and wellness. This was such an enlightening conversation uh, for me. We talk about holistic curriculum, what that is, how the changing landscape of education is impacting our teachers, how a mentor can be of such value for a teacher during this time. So many things. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this conversation with Tracy. So I do hope you stay with us. We will be back in just a few minutes to speak with her. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Today's show uh, has been recorded, so no opportunity for calling in. Please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on those locations. Tracy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Such an interesting company. Uh, is it a nonprofit or is it um, a charitable? What is it now? I, I'm not 100% sure. It's actually considered a nonprofit. 
a nonprofit. And we're going to get into all the details of that because it's, you know, when I was given your name as someone that I should really take a look at because of the wonderful things you are doing, I was, um, I was really taken with everything. I think it's a, a wonderful thing that you are doing to support our teachers. And I have two girls who are in the education system, uh, one going to be a teacher and one working with um, autistic children. So it, near and dear to my heart, especially for what you're doing with them. But before we get into all that, why don't you give us, you know, how you got here? What put you into this space of working with teachers? So I've actually been in education for 30 years. Um, I came about it in a bit of an interesting way. I always thought I wanted to be a classroom teacher and decided that I wanted to be an arts specialist instead. And so many years ago when I did my undergrad, I was doing an arts um, degree and I was doing a lot of work in schools teaching dance education. Um, and also I have a background in writing. And so all of the arts experience that I brought with me sort of growing up um, in music and in dance, I brought into schools. And that was something that I was really, really passionate about. And so I started a creative arts center many years ago, and I taught a number of families for about 14 years. And in doing that, I went into schools and I was an art specialist where I'd bring programs into elementary schools so that teachers could really get a sense of how they could also, you know, bring the arts into the classroom and into the curriculum. And then I decided um, that I was going to sell my business and go back to school. I felt like I wasn't able to really do the work that I wanted to do on a broader scale. And so I went back and did my uh, master's degree in dance education. And that started to really open doors for me where I could see how I could start developing curriculum and working with more teachers in offering support in the arts. And then I went from there to do my PhD, which really was life-changing. I got involved in teacher education, and that's where I was really to make an impact by going into different cohorts, um, working with teacher candidates, and really sharing my knowledge. And through there, I also just developed so many new skills and gained tons of new knowledge where I could bring in lots of other things like holistic education and Indigenous ways of knowing, um, peace building and conflict resolution. So there was a lot of different things of, and pieces that all started to kind of bridge together where I just felt, you know, as, as this beautiful connection, it was sort of everything that I had been learning and developing in my practice. And um, I was working at Western University and I was working with a number of teachers to help them with their alternative field experiences, which is an alternative to doing a practicum in a school and invited them to start working with me because I knew I wanted to develop a nonprofit. And the nonprofit really was sort of everything I just talked about that I just decided I wanted to take all of those pieces and really create something that I could then, you know, offer to teachers again. Um, but through a nonprofit perspective. So that's kind of my history in a nutshell. Kind of the flow. Now, <laughs> the arts have taken a real hit. Now, you talk about working with uh, people in, in, you know, secondary education. Within elementary school and high school, the arts have really taken a hit as far as, you know, being cut from, from school funding and so forth. Have you had to transition your initial thoughts as to approaching the arts within the school system? Um, you know, the, it's interesting. The arts have always received a hit. I mean, they're always the first to go. They're the least privileged. But yes, the last two years, um, they really have not uh, received 
they've pretty been put on hold. Um, you know, I think they're coming back a little bit. What it was that I really had to think through is how is it that we can continue to offer students arts opportunities within the sort of thinking about the different protocols around COVID. So can we still get students to get up and move and dance and connect and do things, but be more aware of our space, for example. And so that was really the the thing that I had to think through. I'm not somebody who's like, I didn't want to feel defeated. Um, I don't think that anything should just be thrown out and, you know, we'll just wait two years because I think that's really detrimental. So it was like, how can we creative problem solve um, ways to do this a little differently so students still have the experiences. And I I think that that, you know, not just myself, but I know there's others that have actually found ways in which they've been able to do that and sort of what we consider to be, you know, to do it safely. Are are you, so I just want to get a, a perspective on what you're doing. Are you helping teachers working within their arts curriculum or are you bringing to teachers a way to get the arts to the students that aren't offered within the standard curriculum? Um, So I am, so what I currently am doing is I am creating resources and creating support so that I can um, speak with teachers in terms of what it is that they can do with their students in their own classrooms. Mm, So that, so I'm not personally going into classrooms. I have not been going into classrooms, but I'm able to provide a lot of the supports to help them see how they can do it for themselves with their students. Now, would the arts be in an effort to support the curriculum that they're trying to teach? Like, are you trying to bring in the arts into their curriculum uh, I, I'm trying to think of an example. If you're doing history and you're working, you know, talking about Indigenous people, are you trying to educate teachers on on movement within that that sort of specific area, or is it just here? Take a piece of your day and introduce the arts to your students. Um, most of what I do is really integrated into the curriculum. Okay. And I find that because the arts really are able to bring the curriculum to life in a very unique way. So I, I yes. It's more accessible for teachers as well, I find. And how, you know, when you're talking to teachers and you're trying to educate them in this space, do they have enough time? Like, this is the big thing that I hear with teachers, that they don't have enough time in their day. So is this another learning modicum that they have to take on? Or do you find that teachers are really um, embracing what you're doing as a way to help them and support them in what they're trying to teach? Well, it really depends. (laughs) I mean, on the teacher, for sure. Um, I think that I try and make everything so accessible and easy to apply. And I often talk with teachers about let's start with something that you feel so comfortable with. So um, if you are doing language arts, for example, and you want to look at um, a story with characters, why not do something as simple as, you know, instead of just reading and talking about the character, maybe put students in groups and start by doing an interview process. So one takes on the role of one character and one on the role of another. So that would be something really simple to bring more drama into it. Or if you're in math class and you are learning symmetry, you could do a simple mirroring exercise. So I try and do it where it's not meant to be in every subject all day long and take over the entire subject. It's like, where do you have these moments where you can bring something in that allows students to be in their body 
and have a moment to have an experience that's a little bit more embodied. So I'm taking the learning and I'm actually getting into the learning myself. Mm-hmm. And we can do those things. They don't take up a lot of time per se. It, it takes up just some creative thinking. Where can I have a moment to kind of do something different? But where can I do it so that maybe it's like five or 10 minutes of this part? I think that also when we create something that's engaging for students where they actually are having fun, it changes time in the sense that the more they're engaged, the more that they want to participate and to learn and are on task. And so I also think that the arts can really sort of change the dynamics. I think that when children just sit and they have to be talked to and they have to do sort of pencil to paper, their focus wanes a lot faster and we end up losing time because of always having to pivot or discipline. And that is the classic problem in the classroom. So trying to hit all the senses and make things more experiential uh, is what you're getting at. And have you found that students are doing better when they're able to be experiential learners? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It increases their engagement. Um, You know, anytime students are really sort of invested in their own learning and they are learning through doing, they tend to remember what it is that they're learning. The learning is much more internalized and it's something that they often can recall later. I'll give you an example. When I was uh, teaching at Western and I was doing the dance drama program, I was I did that for five years. And some of the best memories that my students had was of the moment when they were in a class and the teacher said, okay, everybody get out of your seats and um, you're going to be the ele- electron, neutron, and proton. And they could totally remember that particular lesson and everything about the scientific sort of thing that was happening because they were in it. I totally get that. I had a student, I had a teacher, Mr. Dennison. I remember a physics class. He jumped on the desk. He was this lanky, great teacher. And he was great because he did sort of this stuff and he jumped on a desk and he was trying to show us and and trying to with his body. um, No, I can't remember the exact lesson, but show us how these things reacted. And I thought that is just awesome. And, you know, are teachers just too tired to be creative this way? Is this what's going on here? Why you have to sort of reintroduce this creativity for teachers? Um, I think that teachers have so many expectations put on them. And I do think that it is a very tiring job. I think that teachers feel that the job is never done. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of statistics that you know, show of teachers that have been surveyed that, you know, they work around the clock, they work a crazy amount of hours, don't sleep a lot, um, because they're always trying to sort of fulfill the expectations. And I think that the arts in general, or this type of creativity isn't something that a lot of teachers necessarily lean to, because they, they have this idea that, oh, my goodness, this is going to take up so much time, and whether it's set up or thinking or, um and, and so, yes, I think time often becomes the biggest excuse. And, and also, it is a reality. Mm-hmm. So, it's, it's like, for me, I always have to try and break it down for teachers. Let's really look at our time. And let's look at, you know, where you really do feel that there are time challenges. And then let's look at what's possible. So, where can we work through these spaces of time 
and really make decisions. You cannot do it all. And so it's a matter of what are you really drawn to? What really excites you? What is your vision for your students? Now let's look at how we utilize our time to get where we really want to go. So I think that's a big part of, of looking at sort of how we um, think of time and then how we are able to really manage our time in the best way for ourselves and our students. And then I, I imagine that once teachers have worked with you and have tools, that this just starts to take on a life of its own. It becomes part of the teaching process. I would, I would envision, um, you know, for me, a teacher wants to be there teaching their students and where they're seeing successes feeds them. And so the tools that you're giving them would just you know, they start off maybe in a small space and then they're seeing what you're telling them and bringing it to different. And to me, that's the embodiment of a great teacher mm-hmm. is adapting and seeing your students and getting them involved in learning. So I think what you're doing is absolutely wonderful to support our teachers. You know, they're in and out of teachers college so quickly and they're, yeah. they're you know, the taught the curriculums, how to, you know, all this and that, and then they come out and it's okay. You know, I've got yeah. sort of that book knowledge how do I translate that? Now, you know, on your website, Embodied Learnings, uh, one of the words that pops out, that, or phrases that pops out that a lot of people may not quite grab, so maybe you could explain it to us, is the term holistic learning or holistic curriculum. And are you speaking in the, the student sense or the teacher sense or a combination? So holistic um, education or holistic curriculum is is an approach in teaching that really looks at the whole um, individual. So really seeing, you know, that we are teaching not to just the intellectual mind, but we are teaching to the physical, the emotional, um, as well as the spiritual self. So in holistic education, they include that. Um, It really is also about um, bringing in the arts. So it really embraces this idea of creativity. Um, It also embraces getting outdoors and learning from the land. So really integrating what it is that we can um, learn just by being in nature. And it's also a lot about, um, you know, when you think of uh, holistic education really embraces this concept of love and connection and community. I, I think of it, I think why I've always been drawn to it is it really think, takes me back to this idea of going back to kind of the roots of, of, of our time where, you know, those were things that were really critically important. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, when I think of indigenous communities, just that what it means to be part of a community that's very caring that really looks out for each other where, um, you know, love is really truly at the forefront and that learning is what we know from within. It's really developing the in, inner self as well as, you know, sort of from the collective. Um, so bringing those things into education really kind of spins things on their head a little bit because I think that education, you know, again, it morphs and it's, you know, through history has gone in different places, but we can get a little too heavy, Mm -hmm. a little too much. It's all about what you fill, you know, the intellect with. And we forget that there's this whole other part of ourselves in the world and the way we learn. And I think that that is 
you're at the forefront of what is starting to change and things ebbs and ebb and flow for sure. We swing one way, we swing hard the other way. Sugar is out of the diet, fat is out of the diet. Now fat is back in the, all these things. But I, I think you're in essence, what you're, you're helping people to connect. And I think that's the best teacher when you can connect student to teacher, when you can find a common ground where there's interest and you're mentoring these teachers to kind of get out of their headspace, right? I mean, it's been education, 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 and you're on the application side of it, which I think has really not been nurtured as well as need be for that well-rounded teacher. We have coaches in nutrition. We have coaches in training. Why do we not have more mentors when it comes to teachers? A really good question. I mean, they do have some mentoring, um, but it's from what the, from what I know, it tends to be more professional development and subject specific. So you might have like a math coach who really helps you learn how to teach math more effectively to your students. Um, certainly, new teachers when they get into um, you know within Ontario, I think it's across Canada, but in Ontario, what we have what's called the new teacher induction program. And so, again, you do get professional development workshops. You have a mentor, but it's, it's pretty limited in terms of the time. And other than that, you're on your own. I think most people feel like, you know, teachers just don't, again, have the time. Um, or colleagues get together and they, you know, plan together. But there's not enough emphasis, interestingly enough, in education to really support teachers from their more mental and emotional standpoint. Everything comes down to how are you impacting your students from a very academic sort of um, scholarly perspective, like what are they learning and how are they succeeding? And of course we could get into assessment and how we've gone through a very big period where that was really the end all be all. Like, you know, um, I think the last at least 10 years assessment's been a huge piece. So whenever there's these focuses, if there's any kind of support, it tends to go towards that focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not enough by any means is paid attention to the actual individual teacher, that person who might need more than just, okay, let's be a good teacher. Because right. Right, teaching a subject is one thing, but actually showing up every day and knowing actually how to communicate and connect, that's a different skill set. And you have to know a lot about yourself to be able to bring it to others. The mental health space of teaching. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Um, I, I think we'll take a quick break here because I want to get into talking about how the changing landscape of education and teaching has really called forward what you're doing in embodied learning. So everyone will be back in just a couple of minutes. You are listening to The Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We are talking with Tracy Scapestra from Embodied Learnings, a wonderful program to support our teachers. Tracy, how has, um, you know, we talked a little bit at the first part of the show, how uh, assessment and so forth is constantly changing and being reinvented. But overall, how is the changing landscape in 
of, of education changing and, and why you feel that this is really a time that teachers need to be supported? Well, the last two years has been really, really challenging for teachers, um, definitely around the world um, and predominantly in Ontario. Um, we've had many, many lockdowns and teachers have had to figure out how to teach their students in a multiple of ways from being online to being back in the classroom, teaching hybrid where they have some in the classroom and some online, um, just not having the same resources available to them in terms of even professional development, um, not having consistency in terms of the colleagues that they work with. Um, they're just, I think their own mental health has, has really been um, drained significantly. Um, just, just the constant changes in the last two years. I mean, we were already seeing, you know, um, a changing landscape, but what's happened in the last two years, I think, is beyond what anyone in education could have imagined. And I have had number of friends and colleagues say to me that this is the most difficult year they have ever had in their teaching career. And this is coming from, um, you know, I have family members who are teachers as well as neighbors and, and good colleagues and friends who are, you know, 20 years plus in education. So to have them say that, that's pretty remarkable. Do you think that the um, online presence of teaching is going to continue? How, what do you feel about that? Or are we going to finally get everyone back into the classroom? Because I know some some parents and students prefer not to be in the classroom whether it's from a pandemic um, worry or just the convenience. Do you think we've changed things now? I often think that when we open the door to something like this, that it doesn't ever fully go back to what it was. Um, so I imagine that will be an option for some, but not so much in the way that it was. I think that teachers will have a, and parents will have a choice. So uh, I think before nobody had a choice, it was just everybody's online. And so you need to go and kind of figure it out. But I think there are teachers that actually enjoy teaching online and will choose to do that for the families that want to be online. Um, I'm not sure that I, I personally, for young children, don't think it's a great idea. Mm -hmm. I think that having young children online, I mean, there's so many issues from the fact that a lot of teachers don't even know who their students are because their parents want the cameras to be off. So they, they can't even see a face, let alone make a connection. And so much of what learning is and, and being in a classroom requires so much more that's ever possible for teaching online. And I, I did it for a whole year. I had to, one of my university, you know, a number of my university courses were online and it was really interesting to see the difference and I was working with adults, so you can imagine what it would be like with young children as young as kindergarten in that format. So it will probably continue to some aspect, though I don't think it's a great idea. I, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, who makes this, this decision? You know, we had um, sick kids, you know, one of the first saying these kids need to be back into school for their social development, for their mental development. Who would make these decisions to stay online? And is that not just a completely different type of teaching? 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Teaching online is, um, 
it's it's very one dimensional. And well, first of all, if you have a, a 20 children in a class, you cannot see all of them all on one screen. So you have to flip screens. Children don't have to put their, their screens on. They can have privacy and keeping it black. Um, my sister-in-law um, did a full year of online teaching and she said she would have children fall asleep on the other end. Like they just wouldn't click off. So how long they'd been sleeping, what happened. And she wasn't allowed to get off until she could actually get them to respond to her that they were okay because not all children are, are studying from home with a parent there as well. So, there's just there there are just so many complexities to the online mm-hmm. sort of teaching, um, you know, and a subject is very specific too. So, uh, for example, uh, my cousin is a high school math teacher. She's the department head. She's been teaching math for over twenty years. She said teaching math online was one of the most excruciating experiences because there's something very different about um, being in the classroom where you can walk the aisles and watch body language and just sort of see the work that students are doing on paper and then bringing them up to the board and having them actually work and write and, and see the process of them solving a problem. And she said all of those things that, you know, make up how it is that we teach because we teach with our whole bodies. We don't just teach mm-hmm. with our brains and much of that also was gone. Um, and, and you just can't create something that makes up for that. So. No, and the sharing of ideas. You know, I taught online as well and people off camera. And I was doing um, a three-hour course, uh, three-hour segments, so twice a week. And I kept saying, please ask questions, you know, and when you're in the classroom, there's so much more exchange of knowledge by questions that are asked. I just find that you're cutting off a large chunk of of the curriculum and the program. You know, you're teaching the curriculum and then someone will ask a question. And if I don't know the answer, I'm going to learn it and I'm coming back to the classroom and I'm talking about it. And I just feel that it's just so much more learning when you're present as with anything, when you're present, when you're in the moment, no distractions. It just seems to me to be so much more ideal than, you know, the, especially for children, especially for well, children. Absolutely. I mean, so much of the way I teach as well is that um, I really like to get people moving. I like to get them out of their desks and getting in new groups and and just having the opportunity even just to move for the sake of we need to just get our brains, you know, um, refocused a little bit, mm-hmm. right? After about 20 minutes, we tend to lose our attention, get a little tired. And it's very exhausting to even be in front of a computer for hours on end, even yes. if you Right. Even for children, if you do take those little breaks here and there, there's something about the sitting in front of a screen that is very different than sitting in a classroom in front of a teacher. So that in itself is. And it would be interesting to know it's very well researched that, you know, the blue light from screens can impact sleep. It would be very interesting to see, um, you know, if there was ever a study done on the amount of time Mm -hmm. the kids now are facing in front of screens and their sleep habits. The other issue that I think, um, I'm not a teacher, but I just, you know, looking at what my, my daughter-in-law is a teacher, is bringing these kids up to speed. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they have not had two years of full education. And 
going through elementary school, maybe you can make up a little bit. Once you hit university, I'm not imagining that they're taking their time or have patience to say, well, I know you've gone through a couple of years. So of, of, you know, lesser education than is ideal. But when you hit university, it's every man for himself, as far as what I remember as a student. So what is going to happen and how are we going to make up that the knowledge that hasn't been able to be given to the kids over this last two years? Oh, see, and here's the thing that I'm really grappling with is that I think it is really important that we really want to look at the learning gaps, but we have to be careful. We don't just focus on getting kids up to speed with what it is that they've missed because there are so many mental health issues as well. And so if we kind of you know, aren't doing both at the same time, which might make the process a little slower, the pressure students will feel about having to catch up to to do the work without really attending to the trauma. And I believe that, you know, COVID has created a great deal of trauma on many people in different different ways, because I think many people have gone through this um, differently. But ultimately, there is a trauma, just the lockdowns or the fear, whatever it may be. And we have to attend to that as well. And so I I really feel that what's happened is we're teaching a lot to subjects, you know, to get kids like, okay, we kind of missed out. Let's get them. Let's teach this subject. Let's keep going. But we are forgetting to say, where are you? How are you doing? How are you feeling? What do you need? Because... At the end of the day, if children are really un, unhinged, they are emotionally unregulated, they have fear and anxiety, it doesn't matter how much they are taught something, it's not going to be with them because they'll keep coming back to those thoughts of, I'm not okay, I'm not okay. So, And that looks different across every single age group. Um, when you're a youngster, you know, grade five and and younger, grade six and younger, you may not even realize what has happened and how you've been impacted. But I had one teacher tell me that she's never had a class that's so, that lacks empathy, like the first class back that she had. And it, you know, she couldn't put her finger on it. All Mm -hmm. she could think was that it had to have been, you know, a year and a half away from other people. That has really changed. And these aren't things that the kids at that age are going to tell you and say that I've been impacted this way. Um, some of the mental health issues are, are probably not even recognized. And so I think teachers have so much that they need to work through um, and so many pressures. It's, it's just it, it's outstanding the number of different angles that these teachers have to cope with. If one of them was wanting to come and work with you, what does that look like? Oh, so we always start with a discovery call. So I offer 30-minute free calls where I can really get to know the teacher and what it is that they're looking for. So it's just a time for me to be able to ask questions and really listen intently and get a sense of, you know, what it is that they need support with, what direction can, you know, do we want to go in together? So that's the first thing. And then we can, once I get a better sense, then I can offer options. You know, we could work together and do mentoring. Um, We could do it where it's just we start off and work just one session at a time. And from there, really sort of look at what your intention, what goals do you have, and and then just kind of build something together that takes them in the direction they want to go. 
Um, it could be, though, that somebody is calling me because they really want to do things that are more around mental health and creativity, and they're really looking for ideas that they can bring into the classroom. So maybe they themselves don't need uh, mentoring, per se, for their own you know, well-being, um, but they are kind of at a loss of, of what they can do with their students. And so, again, we can talk about, well, what would that look like? And then I would be able to work with them, give them ideas, provide resources um, that they can then start um, applying with their students in the classroom. And then we can see how is it working and what else might you need. And, and so, Really, it, it starts with that sort of call of, you know, getting to know each other and which direction do we want to go and then building something very custom to their needs. And is this uh, over a number of sessions? Is there a cost involved to the teacher? So the initial call is free. And then if we were to go into, again, um, any kind of mentoring, whether it's more just for them specifically, their person, their personal self or it's more to do any kind of work in the classroom where they're looking for that support for resources planning. Um, again, we can do it where it's just building one-on-one, uh, sort of pay-as-you-go, um, or we can look at it as a package. So that is really up to the teacher. Um, you know, of course, it makes it really helps me to understand sort of what they have as a budget. Mm-hmm. And we can work within that budget. I mean, I am really... I created this nonprofit because I really want to help people. I, I love what I do. I am so passionate to make a difference for teachers and their students that I'm really open to, you know, really just working with what it is that teachers need and finding a way to get them where they want to go. So does this help with burnout? Do you think? I'm sorry. Does it help with, does this help with teacher burnout? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where, um, you know, actually doing teacher mentoring or coaching would really come in. Um, and and in, in doing that kind of work, that's where we really get into, um, you know, getting a bit more of the history, like what got you into teaching? And, you know, sort of what do you see for your future? And let's look at where are the where are the places of burnout happening? Like, is it due to COVID and sort of systematic? It, or is it also related to boundaries and time management issues? So I really, um, because I know school so well, I find that it really is um, helpful for us to really look at the teacher themselves as an individual outside their practice mm-hmm. and sort of their own life and their own sort of choices and habits and things. And then look at the school and the system that they're in and things that are working or not working and how we can work between those two spaces to help them move forward so that it really gives them a little bit more balance in both areas um, where they feel like they have more of a life and they also feel like they have a little bit more sort of control and say within their practice and where they can maybe say no to certain things or maybe they where they need to say yes. But it's just sometimes when you're in it and you're really exhausted, it's really hard to see the forest through the trees. So I like to sort of say I help create a roadmap to help people see the big picture so we can now make those steps forward. Are you seeing burnout in early stages of teaching or more towards the end, or is it really a mishmash? Well, I would say right now it's both. Um, A lot of my former students who are now in teaching are pretty exhausted. They would say that they are definitely in survival mode. 
There's no doubt about it. Um, and the teachers that have been there for many, many years are feeling pretty burnt out where I think they had managed quite well and kind of were in a groove, but the last two years has kind of pulled the rug out from under them a little bit, taking them by surprise. Um, and so they are kind of needing to find a way to reground themselves and get back into a rhythm that was working from before. But do you, do you think it's all COVID related? You know, if we could take the oh, no. two years and put it on the yeah. back burner, were no. you seeing teachers come in out of teacher's college and get slammed with, you can't do this, you can't do that. You've got to say these words. You can't say these words. You've got like COVID aside, are teachers feeling burnout just because of all the pressures being put upon them curriculum wise, parent wise, rules wise? Yes, 100%. 100%. Burnout has been a huge part of of the teaching profession for many years. Um, I think it's been exacerbated, but definitely there was an interesting study. Um, this was out of the U.S. Um, from 2021 that 41.3% of new teachers leave the profession in the first five years. Wow. Now, I've heard that. I, I heard that a decade ago. I'm not sure what the stat, the actual number was then. So it's not uncommon for teachers to burn out very, very quickly in their profession. Um, and it, it is because the expectations are so high and teachers really don't get enough support that they need. Um, and the assessment piece has been a, a huge part of it, the changing curriculum. Um, I just parental involvement. Oh, parental involvement. Yeah, definitely. That's a big part of it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, I think there are. A lot of really, there's not in a sort of balance, things aren't boundaried very well. Mm-hmm. And so I think teachers just feel that there's sort of this onslaught. Yeah, of there's no purist of a teacher anymore, right? The teacher is now not just the educator, they're the disciplinarian sometimes. And yeah, I just, there just seems to be so many. And I, like I said, I have a daughter-in-law and two kids that are in the, and I just see, like the rules and where do you go to try and find your answers as a teacher and where do you get the backup? And I'm not even involved in it. And I just feel that the teachers so much different than when I went to school, so much different. There was definitely a division between home and school and, you know, especially for a student too, you know, not just the teacher school was school, home was home. And there was really no crossing. My mom and dad weren't too involved with school and just a very different horizon. Um, unfortunately, I could talk about this for a long, long time because I'm very passionate about this, but we're coming to the end. If people want to reach out to you to find out about your resources, what you can do for them, cost and everything, where do they look? So the best place to go is our website, which is www.embodiedlearnings.com. And they can also uh, find us on Instagram. We're really, really active on Instagram as well. Um, And so if they go to our website, oh, sorry, that's Embodied Learnings on Instagram. We post tons of resources and tips and strategies and all kinds of really great things for teachers there. But if they go to our website, then it's really easy for them to book um, a call with us. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can do that even on our homepage or on our services page. And so that's the, the best thing, just to have a conversation and inquire. And again, it's, it's free. We, I'm delighted to speak with anyone that wants to um, get online with me for a phone call or a Zoom 
and um, just sort of see where you want to go. Yeah, for anybody who's in Teachers College, thinking about Teachers College, would it be beneficial for them to contact you to get, you know, a bit of a lay of the land before they take the leap or a teacher that's coming out of Teachers College to get that added preparedness? Does it make sense at that point even to contact you? Absolutely. If I, I am, I have worked with, so I've worked with over thousands of teacher candidates over the years. I really understand the program and what it entails and, um, you know, just talking about expectations and, you know, making sure this is the right direction for them. And mm-hmm. also I think teacher candidates, when they come out as teachers, it's they, I think a lot of them need the reassurance that if they don't want to go and be a classroom teacher, they have not wasted their degree. There are so many opportunities in education of what you can do with a teaching degree that doesn't have to mean you're a classroom teacher. And so I've had those conversations with many people before, just really looking at what are your, where, where are your strengths? What are you interested in? And what are the other options? So that's something I'm always excited to talk to people about too, just what are different possibilities within the field of education? That's very interesting. I, I'm not sure that even teachers, uh, teacher candidates, as you call them, would realize that there are other opportunities. So wonderful. Mm-hmm. Tracy, it's been a real eye-opening, wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's just a pleasure. Everybody, we'll talk to you next week on The Health Hub. Hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.